Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stuff TV. I'm your host, Nick Huzar. I'm also the co-founder of OfferUp, and over many, many years of observing billions of dollars of secondhand goods exchange hands in the marketplace I helped build, I started thinking a lot about my own existence and how I impact the planet, and I scoured the internet trying to find answers, and I found it really, really hard. I think we all wonder this to various degrees, and so what I started to do was interview really interesting thought leaders in a podcast like this. And today, I'm really excited to have uh, Sahib Iqbal with us from uh, Esper Satellites. And so if you want to think about, you know, what is happening on our planet? How can we monitor these things? Um, you know, Sahib has a really interesting company, and I'll hand it over to him to tell us a little bit more about uh, his company, his vision, and why he started this. So uh, thank you for being here, and uh, I'll hand it over to you. Thanks a lot, Nick. Um, so, hey, everyone. Um, um, I'm the CEO of Espa Satellites. We're a company that's building and launching sensors into orbit. Um, we're using these sensors to track a number of climate metrics. So everything from atmospheric greenhouse gases to surface level uh, metrics for agriculture. And like, um, I started the company while I was still at university studying my degree in space science. So my background comes from uh, a lot of university side projects, building and launching stuff on suborbital rockets. Um, and then using a lot of that experience to build something in climate. And that's how uh, Esper came about. I wanted to just build something in space. And I also still wanted to have a positive impact through my skill sets on climate. And that's what's a really driving factor for me and uh, Esper. Yeah, one of the things I, I think really interesting when you think about space, and especially now with everything happening in climate, um, you know, it's, if you think about the history of how long we've been monitoring this world we're on, it's not very long. Uh, you know, if you think about when we launched, I think Sputnik was launched in 1957. Right? That was like the first, I think, satellite out there. And then we've kind of been launching satellites ever since. And we just, now we have data, which we didn't have when I was a kid. We had some, but now we've got decades of data. So we can start to analyze, you know, some of the impacts of, uh, that we have had as humans on our planet. Um, and I think, you know, there's what, 7,000 satellites now orbiting uh, out in space. And I think a SpaceX has over 3,000 alone. And if you think of how young that company is, it's fascinating to see that they have over, uh, you know, almost half the satellites that are out there already. Um, so, so maybe just I'd be curious on your own kind of perspective around space. You know, how do you think about some of those things? And um you know, what, what, what are you hoping to launch? Cause you're, you're getting ready to launch your first satellite, right? You haven't launched one quite yet. Yeah, that's right. So I think, yeah, space is a really, of course, like space is cool. Um, you know, that's what's something that really attracts a lot of people with everything from, you know, the first moon landing all the way to the space shuttle program. Um, it's really interesting how a lot of that came about during the cold war, uh, right after world war two, where it, you know, Basically, that rivalry between the U.S. and Russia is something that really propelled a lot of that technology forward. Um, like, to, I was just a couple of days ago, I was reading how the U.S. was basically, uh, once Sputnik was launched, uh, it really like, it started that entire space race because the Russians had it actually benefited to something. Um, and uh, after that, then of course, there was this entire campaign of launching spy satellites um, now these were really cool satellites in the sense that these were satellites will still film cameras on them. So you would, uh, uh, the satellite would 
you know, have this entire roll of film, it would be capturing all of this information while it's actually up there, you know, looking at you know, slides over Russia. And once the satellite re-enters its orbit and burns up, like you would actually have to go out and find that roll of film wherever it's landed on the Earth and actually retrieve a lot of that information. Um, so that was basically where everything started in the space or the satellite industry because that, you know, the initial rivalries really was propelled everything from propulsion technologies to, you know, all the other sustaining technologies around that once we got into like hypersonic reps. Remember the SR seventy one, which we don't have anymore? I mean that all came about in that era and that was that was exactly the I think the, the thought behind it was we can move. I forgot how fast that plane moves, but it's kind of ridiculously quick. Exactly. Like, st- I think it's still one of the fastest acknowledged moving spacecraft, uh, sorry, not spacecraft, aircrafts. Um, yeah. Well, I say acknowledged because that's what we know publicly. And uh, there's uh, yeah. a lot he's like working on, but in more cool stuff out. Yeah, I heard, I heard that maybe we're finally going to bring back uh, the Concorde, but I'll believe it when I see it. So, so maybe digging a little, I mean, deeper into like your ambitions, because you're not just, your goal out there is not to create a space satellite. So, so what is it around climate that you find interesting and what are you hoping to monitor uh, with the, some of your first satellites that you put out there? That's right. So we see satellites as just data points and tools to collect data or like an entire infrastructure that is made for collection of data. Um, with our satellites, we're specifically looking at the, the three industries. Um, so we look at direct climate data. So everything from, you know, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere all the way to uh, looking at where your carbon sources are actually going, especially for carbon sequestration, looking at entire masses of forests, entire uh, masses of seaweeds on coasts. Because sea is actually a really good uh, sink of carbon dioxide. Um, another second thing that we look at is more on the mining side. So it, Mining is a little bit controversial because a lot of people know, uh, rightfully uh, so, that you know, mining has a huge environmental impact. Whenever you're you know, basically digging up material, you're really disrupting the ecosystem around that while also causing a huge carbon footprint. Um, we see mining to still be a very important industry as we go and as we have more technologies come about, especially with uh, critical minerals. So these are minerals like lithium, cobalt, gold, um, stuff that goes into our batteries, stuff that goes into our electronics. And, you know, that's necessary for us to transition into other types of green tech, whether it be solar panels or uh, having electric cars on the road. Um, and we want to be playing in that area where we're looking to provide the best data we can to make that entire industry as sustainable as possible by increasing the overall efficiencies while also exploring for these new minerals. Yeah, less impact. So I, I, I did a, a recent podcast with a company called Energy X, and they do a lot of lithium mining. And um, I was also advi- an advising a company on a, that's out there to do more AI level mining where their pitches, hey, we can do it faster, cheaper, and less disruptive to the planet, which is really interesting because you think about how much time and permitting all the work, well, at least in the U.S., to to go and one find and source these things and dig up the earth, like it's so disruptive. And so, if you can use technology, either it's a satellite or some other system, and to be more efficient, um, I mean that that could be massive and, and even potentially faster. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you know, I don't know how much people are leveraging satellites uh, to do kind of what you're talking about. Um, it's, 
But is, do you think this is a fairly new space or there, is this kind of more proven where people have already been doing, narrowing down kind of areas for mining, leveraging satellites? Yeah, what we've seen is that people have known about satellite data and it's been, you know, hyped up quite a bit, but it hasn't really been like commercialized in the sense where let's say, you know, every mining company in the world is uh, using satellite data or um, every, you know, agricultural company or every uh, person who's looking to track climate data is using satellite data. It's still niche in the sense where it's, I guess, uh, again, yeah, people know about it, but no one's really using it just because the data has not been there or like the quality of that data or what's being, can be derived from that information has not been there. Um, that's where we come in. So as I mentioned, we're building these sensors. Uh, these are essentially imagers uh, or hyperspectral imagers that capture light in these hundreds of wavelengths to basically do spectroscopy. Um, what that means is we're taking pictures of the planet, but our pictures can basically help us decode every point on the planet on a chemical level. Um, so everything in the atmosphere, all the way to surface level on the Earth, um, we're oh. able to decode all of that on a chemical level. That's allowing us to give this additional dimension <laughs> on the data for mining and ag and all these other different industries. It sounds when you say perscroscopy, it sounds like a colonoscopy for the planet. <laughs> yeah, it, Going deep ways, into yeah. the bowels of the planet. <laughs> In some ways, definitely, like we, uh, it is, you know, seeing the unseen or seeing what people may know and to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, again, it's so fascinating because I, I don't think as a kid, we even had nearly this type of technology where we could actually answer these questions. And sometimes in isolation, you may get one data point, but the fact of the tech and where it is today and everything you can leverage, you can put all these data points together to just have a better uh, point of view. You know, the other one we, we should spend a little time talking about is just at the macro level, I think the cost and how how more efficient it is and how you're able to do this today. And I applaud people like SpaceX and Elon Musk for what they what they did, because historically to launch a space shuttle in the atmosphere was like a million dollars of gas. It's such a waste. And you couldn't really put a big pay, payload out there. And, you know, I think the the genius of Elon Musk was hey, why are we doing this? Why can't we lighten everything up? Why can't we reuse these rockets? Why can't we make it more efficient? And like we were sharing earlier, as a result, they have almost half the satellites in space in the last decade. And, um, you know, I think because of that, my assumption is the cost has gone down so rapidly that people like yourself are saying, well, I can launch these things and and explore. Um, I mean, do you think at a macro level, that's a, a true statement? Like that's, because of SpaceX and others that the cost has gone down in a way that is, it's creating more innovation in this space? Absolutely. Um, because as you mentioned, yeah, like launching a satellite would be an endeavor that would cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and if you're just putting that investment in, you can't really risk losing it. Um, which is why, you know, you would always go for legacy equipment. You would go for legacy technology that's, you know, been proven to work in space. And there would be very little innovation from one step to the other, unless, you know, if you have like billion dollars in the pocket. Um, now, when it comes to that commercial side, because of SpaceX and a lot of these other commercial players, the costs going down to launch these things, the risk has gone down as well. The barriers to entry are so less. Um, that's why a company like ours can come out with basically, you know, experimental technology that may not have been fully proven out in orbit to actually launch these things at a fairly large scale. Um, and uh, that just allows us to, you know, like me, someone who's fresh out of university, uh, to actually go out and build a company that can actually do a lot of these hard things. 
Um, another layer on top of that is it's also creating a mindset of innovation around just being really lean in the space industry, which I guess this industry is not very used to. Um, and that's something that we've taken upon ourselves as well, where we're now manufacturing these sensors for 20 times less uh, than what they usually cost in industry. Um, and that, you know, that era, this new era that's coming up of just like low cost manufacture of space hardware is just basically changing the entire game, especially as Starship launches and all these uh, other rocket, player, rocket players come into play. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I remember a few, a few things as you were talking. I remember uh, I was in Hawaii a number of years ago and I saw one of the SpaceX arrays fly over and it was low altitude. So at first I saw like, you know, oh, satellite would be do, but it seemed really bright. I'm like, oh, it's probably low. And then all of a sudden in the sky, 29, it was 30 of them, I counted. And we were at this luau and everyone stopped. Everyone's like, what the heck? And uh, it was such a crazy thing to see. And my understanding is what they, they'll, they'll launch them all. They all, you know, will fly out of the rocket. And then they're, they, you know, they slowly start to spread out and they slowly start to gain altitude. And, the, you know, so we just were fortunate that we happen to see probably an early, I don't know what you call it. I'll call it a hatch. I don't know. There's probably a specific term. Um, so that was really, I thought that was just, a kind of a treat to see something like that because it just highlights where we are now is uh in terms of space exploration and the other one i was fortunate uh back to the cost um uh, i was able to go down and, and visit this uh, uh company called relativity space and the ceo and founder of this company was like in his mid-20s when, when i uh, met him and his vision at the time was to build a fully 3d printed rocket and he was only working on uh, gas tank at the time. That's all it was. And he had these massive, uh, I think it was one of the biggest 3D printing arms, uh, I think on the planet to build this gas tank. Uh, and now I think he, he just did his first full rocket launch um, in the, a few months ago, which is fascinating. Um, but he used to be at uh, Blue Origin and Jeff Bezos just didn't want to spend any time on it. So he went out and raised a whole bunch of money and you know, he's getting after it like that. So it's just, it's just another example of so much inertia in this space and much of things aren't going to work like anytime you're innovating, but it, it's okay. I think overall, a bunch of these things will, and we will all benefit, you know, from that. And so clearly I think the fact that you're able to leverage this for these sensors and things you're building, like you said, fresh out of school, it's like, I'm going to go launch a rocket mom. I mean, what did you, did you, did you, what did you tell your parents when you, when you do, do you think you were crazy? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think every time I used to talk about like building a company, even it would always be like, because yeah, I come from like an Indian background and it's really drilled on into yeah. us to be like, Hey, go to school, get a degree, uh, go work at, go work at nine to five and then, you know, slowly build up belt over time. Um, so yeah, really for at least, especially coming from my culture, I'm going on a very non-traditional route. So it's, Definitely scared them a lot, um, but yeah, now they're you know into this well, so they're as excited as me to see these bridges fly. So first launch is going up in October, then another one going up in January. So we're we're really close. That's really cool. My my dad had one job; he worked at Boeing uh, uh, his whole life for forty plus years, and so now at this point, I don't know, I'm not that old, but I I've probably worked at eight different companies now, and so he just. My dad's like, you know, and any great dad, he's like, whatever you want to do, son, just have fun and, you know, enjoy it. But I'm sure a lot of times he just thinks it's the craziest thing because he would never in his wildest dreams decide to venture out in something crazy uh, like that. So it's not for everybody. I always say that, but it's, 
So, so with this launch that you're doing, maybe can you talk us through kind of what is some of the planning associated with it? And then maybe just to whatever degree you're, you're able to share, like what is the payload that's in there? What, you know, maybe walk us through the process of what it took to actually build this. Yeah. So within these two first launches, they're basically our demonstrators. So we're not really expecting to make a whole lot of money out of it. These are in the purest part of the term. They're our minimum viable product. Um, the sensors that we're putting on there are, I think, the version three uh, of our current sensor stack. We call them Esperessos. Um, so there's a play on the word. So these two sensors are very much just testing out two main things. So they're testing out the actual spectroscopy technology that we've been able to build, the actual mechanical hardware. Um, then the second thing is the actual onboard software that we're building. Um, and that software is, again, sort of going back to that point of how things have just gotten really easier to launch uh, or how it, how it has gotten easier to launch these things up in orbit. We're able to play around with a lot of experimental stuff. And for us, it's really that software or that onboard firmware that we're running um, that really takes a lot of this low-cost hardware that we've been able to manufacture and really derives really good data from it. Um, so it's basically proving uh, that core technology out on these two launches. Um, so they're flying, one's flying on an Indian rocket uh, in October, then the second one's going on the SpaceX Falcon 9. Um, so yeah, those two are our first demonstrator launches. And yeah, once we get these things up in orbit, we're just, yeah, it'll just really put us in a different league. Yeah, you're starting to learn a ton. And, and remind me, uh, I think when we were initially connecting, you were saying that this company that you're launching with in India, this is also their first flight, right? Is that correct? Yeah, is their first launch or no? The hardware itself, it's launched before. Um, but yeah, the company themselves okay. there uh, is their first time as well. So, um, but yeah, uh, we're you know very trusting with them. Um, just because the hardware is. Uh, I was going to say so it's it's like two startups, two startups jumping off a cliff together. Uh, like, okay, I hope this works. <laughs> exactly. Um, hey, at least uh, together well, we can. Well, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, at least together we can build one half of the wingspan. So uh, hopefully we can fly something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you think about, uh, you know, where, where you are today, I'd be curious, like maybe how big is your team and what is kind of your ambition over the next like five to 10 years as you think about, you know, kind of monitoring and, and where you want to go? Yeah, so we currently are around seven people. Um, so most of the team is you know focused on building the tech with my CTO and uh, all of the engineers that we currently have. Um, we we see hyperspectral and like climate just being like the first chapter of our story. Um, the five plus ten plus year goal that we currently have is that we want to basically measure the entirety of the physical world. Um, now the way we sort of get there, you know, goes. We, it may need us to launch, you know, hundreds of these satellites, or it may be like we need to go out and completely develop a different type of sensor that complements the stuff that we're already launching. Um, we don't know exactly what it looks like, but we know that is the north star that we're trying to get to, and that is what will really help us become a you know, multi-billion-dollar company. A, but B, it would really help us really interweave ourselves into daily life and actually make a positive impact in you know day-to-day -day operations of humans in general um so yeah that's like our north star that's the vision that we're really trying to build towards in the, over the next uh about 10 years 
the uh, oh, the, the, who was the gentleman that was on the space station, the longest guy? And remember, he was the one that was really being very vocal about what he was seeing in the world. Um, what was, was his name? He's an American. Kelly. Um, I might be very much wrong. Yeah, that might have been him. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna um, up. yeah, what are you talking yeah, about? Is, Scott yeah, Kelly. Thing, they, yes. Um, yeah, they call it the overseer effect. Um, even uh, on, I guess, the people who went, uh, who still go up on, you know, Jeff Bezos's ride where they like touch the wall a bit and then come back down. Um, they experience the same things. It's just, you know, taking the entire world and then looking at it, you know, from like a macro perspective where you just have everyone on this blue pill dot, right? It's, uh, really alters the way you sort of think about humanity and just life on this planet. I'm assuming you've seen those other videos too, where it, it shows, it really makes you feel insignificant, right? It shows earth and then it zooms out and it shows the sun and then it zooms out and it shows the next biggest. And then it zooms way out to like the biggest known star we have. And you just, you just get up out of your seat and you're like, I'm, I'm nothing. <laughs> exactly. You feel really small. So um, that. Yeah. You're like, well, what do I do now? Uh, I mean, what else do you find interesting? I know we kind of talked about, you know, kind of the history of space, where we are now, what you're doing, you know, are there other, other things that you think anyone watching this might be, uh, you know, interested in? Yeah, I think the main thing that I really like about, I guess, space or space industry in general, is like, it's not all about exploration, right? Like exploration is a huge core part of it, yes. Um, and that's what really, you know, pushes a lot of core technologies forward, but a lot of it is just beyond, you know, trying to get to Mars. Um, it's beyond just building that interplanetary goal that everyone uh, tries to go after, you know, that's entire sci-fi goal. If, you know, especially in the work that we're doing, and I guess, you know, companies like uh, ours are doing, whether it be, you know, directly in our conservation or in the tangential industries, um, it's making a whole lot of impact, um, a whole lot of positive impact for people who are living down here. And I think that's just not emphasized enough. Um, people look at a satellite imagery and they're like, yeah, cool. Um, but they don't really sort of realize like the backends that needs to go into it to sort of get in there. And then of course, you know, there's a lot of passion that still goes on around people who want to go to Mars and uh, whatnot. So yeah, that's probably where, you know, a lot of, I guess, you know, our works and yeah. our emphasis goes into is just like, hey, it's much more than just, you know, the exploration side of things. It's a lot to do with our day-to-day -day lives here on Earth and, you know, that the same technology that's being used to build and launch people up there is also being built and launched to actually solve problems back at home. Because, um, yeah, that's, you know, a really uh, go-to argument is like, you know, why don't we solve Earth's problems first? And, yeah, we are doing that uh, with the same technologies yeah. that are used, being used to send people further out. Yeah, I think one of the things, I know the ambitions of uh, Elon Musk, I mean, the reason we're doing all this to support our planet is, is one thing, is you have to make this economically viable to support such a major undertaking. And so we're doing a lot to support the planet, even like, you know, um, Starlink and all that, that's just bringing internet to places all over the place that are it's helping humanity. And so I think that that's a, that's an awesome thing. At the end of the day too, we can also point it the other direction. We can also point it out into space, right? We can leverage that as kind of a stepping stone for Mars and other places we want. And so, you know, I, I think I think my assumption, and again, I'm not a big uh, as close to this as everyone else, but you know, I think once we can start building stuff out in space, maybe the moon, 
we can start doing a lot of other interesting things because it just the amount to, to get out of our atmosphere, you know, it's like a gigantic kind of suction cup, right? You got to get that. just costs a lot to get out there. But if we can start to manufacture things out in space, it becomes a lot cheaper. There was a, uh, a episode I shot a few weeks ago. Somebody was talking about, I was contacts or something. There's a bunch of these weird manufacturing things on earth. They're like, Oh, it's much cheaper if we do this in space. Um, yeah, I, I was just, yeah, absolutely. There's like companies like Warda space and like uh, space forge and all these guys, like we can do basically build in space factories. Um, and, even, you know, going back to my university days, we did a lot of research that could only be done in like microgravity. So we had to um, basically you know, fly these experiments like really with high altitude and then basically let the plane fall a little bit. So it simulates, you know, zero gravity. Um, that is yeah. just super important doing a whole lot of like biological experiments. Um, I, know, I think again, going back to water, they're doing like a launch in a few months where they're launching pharmaceutical uh, equipment up in uh, up into orbit, so that's uh, you know fairly exciting there. Um, our company doesn't necessarily need stuff up there, but of course, if we build our sensors up in orbit, then you know that's an entire cost component gone out of the window. It's just we we just have a factory just pumping these things out as they sort of uh, get the end of yeah. their lifetime. So yeah, we're looking forward to seeing that day. Yeah, what do you think about you know on a more personal level of? Uh if you ever had the option to either one, go out and, 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 and land on the moon, let's say that happens in some time in your lifetime, or even venture to Mars, would you, would you be uh, an early adopter on that? Or are you going to wait for a while? Gosh. Um, every time I think about it, it's like, so I do get homesick a lot. So I feel like I, I do not see myself going up into space just yet. Um, it's, uh, definitely something maybe later down the line I might think about, but for now it's like, I'm, I'm a homebody or an earth body, uh, if, if you would. You need mom's cooking. You can't survive on MREs, you know, some space <laughs> food, you know, for too long. And if people wanted to learn more about and, and kind of follow, do they just go to your website? What's the best way to kind of follow what you're doing? Yeah, our website and our LinkedIn are probably the best ways. We're trying to have a bigger uh, audience on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, like LinkedIn is probably where basically update things live as they happen. Yeah, so for anyone that's watching, it's just espersatellites.co. So that's E-S-P-E-R satellites with an S dot C-O. And there's probably more information you'll post there. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing kind of some of these really interesting insights. I think it's really fascinating. I applaud you for taking on such a big undertaking, like right out of school. I mean, it's all, it's all down. It's all down from here. I mean, like literally. Uh, so, uh, no, it's really exciting. Um, and I'll continue to kind of watch what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. And yeah, it was great. Uh, you know, having a chat.